welcome back to Tame Speak Up. So today I am doing another solo episode and I am interviewing Tiffany and Sophie, two amazing activists who are doing some work with desegregating all New York City public schools. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a blast to talk to Tiffany and Sophie and yeah, let's get started. Okay, so today we are here with Tiffany and Sophie from Teens Take Charge. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work you do? Um, so my name is Tiffany Torres. I'm a co-operations manager. I joined Teens Take Charge about a year ago during my junior year. And since then, it's kind of been a whirlwind of activism and just a lot more political involvement than I've ever been in before. Um, our goals as an organization are to further the movement of equity in New York City public high schools specifically. My name is Sophie Mode. I'm a sophomore at Millennium Brooklyn High School. I also joined Teens Take Charge about a year ago, a few weeks after Tiffany, um, and I'm now one of the co-directors of communications. What was your rise to activism? So have you guys been doing any other work outside of Teens Take Charge? And if so, what was it? And what made you specifically interested in Teens Take Charge? So um, I kind of have always been, well, for as long as I can remember, kind of engaged in these issues. I've never been very active in, until joining Teens Take Charge, I wasn't necessarily very active in these issues, but I've always been kind of aware of these issues. And my mom has a nonprofit that involves education and civic engagement in schools, um, especially providing a platform for students who come from typically ignored and underserved areas. And so I was always aware of the discrepancies, especially coming from a very privileged educational background, um, predominantly white, very affluent schools. So I was aware, and then I found out about Teens Take Charge, and I joined, and as Tiffany said, it's just been a whirlwind. I've just kind of become even more passionate about these issues, and I've able been able to actually do something about it. Um, so my experience has been a lot different. <laughs> I was never politically involved. Um, everything from school and like my family was just kind of geared away towards political involvement, like any sort. I didn't talk to my parents about the current political climate. Like we just never had conversations like that. People in my family don't really vote. Um, it's just it just hasn't been something that's been ingrained into our. Um, like at least my home environment. So I, like I knew of these issues that existed, um, but I never, it was all surface level. So I never really tried to dig deeper into what I could do to help. But last year I attended the March for Our Lives. And I think that was like my first kind of intro to the activist world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really do much of further than that after a few months and then I went to the Harvard Summer Politics Academy last year and <laughs> I went last August and um, we learned about different issues and we created like our own solutions in groups we spent that week creating our own solutions and like studying different issues I think my group's topic was immigration and after like being in an environment where everyone was so knowledgeable about what was going on currently and me not knowing what was going on like at all, I kind of realized that I needed to pick up the pace and I needed to figure out what I could do to further um, the the movement of equity like in across various fields, whether it's immigration, whether it's educational equity, whether it's like um, just so- social equity in general. And I heard about Teen State Charge. I've 
known about the issue of school segregation and uh, the opportunity and achievement gaps because I'm part of SEO Scholars. Um, Seizing every opportunity is the tagline, but it stands for um, Sponsors for Educational Opportunity. And um, so I've always known that it's an issue. I just never knew how I could get involved. And then one day during SEO, um, we had our opening circle and Sokna Jada, our other operations manager, gave a presentation about Teen Take Charge and I She's was so like, cool. she really, <laughs> she really is. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I have to join because I like it. Just it was the first time that I there was something that was available to me that I knew I could join that I was actually interested in, and I joined. Like I signed up like the next day. We spoke on the phone, and then I came to the next meeting. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think a lot of people their rise to activism was March for Our Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very normal to go to that and go to the women's bars, go to March for Our Lives, and then just, like, kind of be sedentary and don't do anything for a few months. Mm-hmm. And then you see something that, like, really strikes your attention and you're like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what I did with uh, the period movement and, like, waking up one day and being like, I want to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so why is integrating NYC schools important? Okay, so... so just to start, New York City has the most segregated public schools in the country, and they're more segregated now than they were in the 1960s, so we can see that even though New York City prides itself on being a place where people from all different backgrounds can come together and it's supposed to be this great melting pot, we can see that there are such there's such deep divides and separations, and it's not just that people are separated, it's that they're being given such vastly different educations, but even if students were being given equal educations, an education isn't complete if you're not learning alongside people from different backgrounds. So students, specifically Black and Latinx students, are not being given an equal and equitable education. And students all over the city are suffering because they are in environments where they're only learning from their own peers and they're not experiencing people from other cultures. Yeah, that's so important. Um, so how can we desegregate schools? How can we change the how can we fix the issue that's going on so we are currently focusing on our enrollment equity campaign and our enrollment equity plan which consists of three main points the one of the points is to increase transparency in the high school directory because we find that a lot of times students who depend on the directory um, are going to schools where they find that those programs and clubs and extracurricular activities and AP classes that they thought were in the school, according to the directory, are no longer there when they get to the school or they never existed in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we've been working very closely with the high school team at the DOE specifically um, to try and figure out a way to measure the accuracy of the information in the directory and created just a source of accountability for the principals or whoever in these schools are updating this information and making sure that it's accurate. Yeah, it's so bad because, it's, like, the mm. the book is so false. Like, all the information, or most of the information in the book is, like, completely untrue and mm. just, like, wrong. And um, I was talking to a kid. They were like, oh, what are you talking about? New York City schools are probably so, like, diverse. Oh, there's people of all different backgrounds and, like, all races and, like, I don't know. And I was just like. That's just so not true. Like, yeah, yeah. And the fact that it's an expectation, mm-hmm. but when you find out it's not, it's like, like it's really not okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think people, it is an expectation just because of how racially diverse New York City is, but the fact that there's so, 
segregated is just so bad. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, the fact that New York City is so diverse does create really amazing opportunities for integration, but at the same time, it can be kind of a problem, specifically when it comes for, in my experience, like, white liberal families who mm-hmm. ver- see themselves as very progressive, and they say, you know, I've enrolled my kids in public school. I, you know, don't like Trump. I am a Democrat. I care about you know, diversity and, you know, things like that. But at the same time, they're not willing to give up something. It's all about it's all about hoarding resources for their own children. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of, you know, we're part of this public system, but it's not really public because they want the most for their kids, no matter what happens to the other kids in the system. Mm-hmm. And that creates a real barrier because it's not just changing, teaching, because it's not just teaching people that this is an issue, it's teaching people that this is an issue that they should care about, mm-hmm. and, then it's impact, and it's impacting them too, but that's not why they should care about it. It's teaching people that they should care about other people's kids that aren't just their own. And because of the diversity and because of this per- these progressive ideals, it does present a barrier in changing the viewpoints of a lot of families. Yeah, definitely. City. And like I do un- I do understand why they're like hoarding the resources mm-hmm. because they care about their children and they want the best for their children, but at the same time you have to think about everyone in this. City. So our second proposal is to uh, base- like our second proposal is the top 7% plan that Mayor de Blasio rolled out that was unsuccessful. Um, that we advocated for a lot more than he did. So that was our second plan and our main proposal right now that we are pushing for most heavily is our enrollment our, our academic diversity threshold. Every public high school cannot have more than 75% of students have passed the ELA and math state exams, and no less than 25% of students can have passed the ELA and math state exams. Basically, it ensures that um, academic diversity is sustainable in all high schools across the city, in turn promotes racial and socioeconomic diversity because we find that a lot of times tests correlate to um, the level of resources that students have had For and sure. the educational privilege or lack thereof that they've had. Yeah, and think their about life. the people that can't take tests well. Yes. Like we mm-hmm. had an episode about that a couple months ago. A lot of the educa- education in New York City is based on your tests, and be- if you have like a hundred on a test, you'll get more opportunities. But if you're a bad test taker like myself, mm-hmm. um, you won't get in. You won't have as good opportunities which is really crappy yeah the other thing that we talk about a lot is how high school is this opportunity where you can close the gap where you can bring together students who are struggling and students who are doing well so that instead of you know separating them even more you're putting them together so they're being given the same opportunities and the students who need the most can be given the most but instead what the system does is widen the gap even further so the students who already have had really great resources are being pushed being you know funneled into schools that are also have amazing resources and opportunities when the students who are struggling are pushed into schools that don't have the resources to support them and help them to close that gap. So being someone who's gone through the high school process in New York City I know that the DOE promises open choice and that's just not the case like it's not open choice so what is your opinion on that that whole open choice idea that they give up? Yeah so our academic diversity thresholds tries to combat um, the screens in schools that operate against the open choice that the DOE promises. So they say that like there is an option for every student to choose a school, any school that they're interested in, but it's simply like not true. And there are screens that prove to be barriers for students of certain demographics, specifically like Black and Latinx students, um, from getting into these schools that are often the most resource schools that have more most AP classes that have the most sports. And uh, it's uh, our diverse, our thresholds 
try to work against that, against the screens that are keeping these students out of these schools and promote open choice that the DOE promises that they're just not delivering on. Because there are schools that can say they only want students that have a certain GPA, that have scored this certain like threshold on their exams, that look at attendance, that look at things, portfolios, and um, just academic performance of certain students. And then there, we also have schools that have screens that look at the district that the student lives in, which is insane because a lot of times the schools that have district screens are schools that are located in wealthier areas. So for example, Eleanor Roosevelt in the Upper East Side of Manhattan has a District a 2 screen. This is a personal point This for is her. a very personal point because they were my first choice. And though I surpassed <laughs> the academic requirements and every other requirement of the school, I didn't live in the district. So... Like and it's like a first come first serve for those kids, which is yeah not great. for the kids that live in that district. Yeah, obviously, like I cannot afford to live in that district, so <laughs> they're they're just keeping educational privilege in places in spaces where students who have already had educational privilege can continue to get it while keeping other students out. So there's not really an open choice system right now, or at least not as much as they're saying that there is. Are you guys aware if this is an issue in any other state besides New York? I mean, or do you think that this is like the most? Like, is it school inequity or this like high school open choice system? No, I'm sorry. Um, just how segregated those schools are. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is not a New York focused issue. I mean, we've seen in our history that segregation has been a core part oh, of our for history. Sure. Yeah. And it still is. There are a lot of school districts all over the country that are segregated. But right now, we can see that New York has it to the biggest extreme, especially considering the fact that we are the most diverse. Okay, so what current activists are making major strides in the movement that our listeners should check out? Um, so our co-founders, Nelson Luna and Whitney Stevenson. They're the co-founders of Teen Sig Charge. They're currently sophomores in college, and they are just incredible. I highly recommend that you check them out, as well as a couple of other founding mem- members, Mohamed Dean and Dulce Marquez. Especially Dulce Marquez. Especially Dulce <laughs> Marquez. She is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying I mean, to think, is there anyone else that we're leaving it? I mean, there are just so many individuals, members. and I feel like often a lot of the people who are doing amazing work aren't being publicly recognized which is so shitty yeah Yeah. that's so bad because if you see like a lot of the people who are you know instagram activists and Mm -hmm. uh, have so many followers are constantly being featured and maybe are verified or they aren't the ones who are maybe doing the real ground roots work some of them are that's not like an over generalization that's not like a complete generalization but a lot of times, I know so many the people youth who are doing who are the most work aren't the most being work. recognized. They're not being recognized because they're putting their time in doing the work, not trying to like build a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that a lot of uh, kids these days are doing things for Instagram and are yeah. like climate justice movement. <laughs> Sorry to call anyone out, but honestly, yeah, no, you call them out. No, it's true. well, that's the thing. It's even when you were talking about March for Our Lives and how that push people into a lot of there's so many people who you know activism is like cool now so people Mm -hmm. go to marches and they say they're activists but really they're not doing anything except going to a protest and protests are great but you can't call yourself an activist because you go to a march you have to put in the actual work and also you can't just focus on the issues that affect you affect you and also are on trend like Mm -hmm. And I've had to learn that, too. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> I mean, um, I j- just, like, realizing that the climate, um, the climate, sorry, 
the environmental justice movement isn't about white girls who live in Park Slope. It's about um, Mm -hmm. it's about people who live in inner city city. communities Mm -hmm. and um, those who are actually being affected. Like if you think about Hurricane Katrina, I my family weren't affected as much as those who live in the Bronx and other neighborhoods and um yeah like heat waves and stuff people who live in impoverished neighborhoods are a lot more are affected a lot more than than um myself who can afford like air conditioning and mm-hmm. all that yeah it's really true and there are two things that I saw like I think they were either like political cartoons or quotes or something and the first one was like if you like if you want to like like, be a change maker if you want to be, like, an activist. The first step is to care about issues that don't personally affect you. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, I think it was, like, a political cartoon from the New Yorker or something, and it was, like, who wants change? Someone saying, who wants change? And everyone was raising their hand. And then the second part was, who wants to change? And no one raised their mm-hmm. hand. And it's, like, you need to be willing to give up some of your own personal resources and some mm-hmm. of your own bubble like mm-hmm. people are living in a bubble and you need to be able to give up some of that privilege that you have for sure yeah and a lot of people they you know they want to talk about how they want to change but you have to actually you know be willing to give it up give up something yourself yeah I definitely agree and like with the whole period movement stuff that I'm doing it the issue does not affect me because my family can't afford um, menstrual products every time I get my period mm-hmm. and um there, but there are people who have to literally stick cardboard in their underwear and people who have to miss out on their education. Girls all across the world, people of color are disproportionately affected when it comes to this issue. Mm-hmm. Terrible, and I, yeah, and not to mm-hmm. change the subject. <laughs> but yes, I will definitely have another episode on that. But um, if, sorry, if you guys could say anything to our wonderful mayor. Oh. Um, love him. <laughs> Tiffany has addressed him many times on his <laughs> Brian Lair. If you guys could say something to um, Bill, Mr. Bill de Blasio. Um, Bill. <laughs> uh, what would you say specifically regarding the issue, of course? First of all, go take a look at two vastly different schools in this city and see if you don't want to make a vast change. But also, I'd like to ask you to come sit down with us. Mm-hmm. We have worked really hard to create our policy plan. And, I mean, we want to work with you. We're not here to work against you unless you're not going to make a change. So we'd like to ask you to come sit down with us so that we can try to f- fix the system together. I, I think I would just say that um, we need a lot more urgency. And a lot of promises have yes. been made throughout his campaign. A lot of promises can continue to be made, but we're, we don't want to hear promises anymore. We want to see those promises actually being followed through. And um, we're willing to continue working and pushing and advocating, and it's never going to stop. Um, his campaign soon will, but <laughs> we are not. <laughs> so that's all. Yes. Yeah, definitely awesome. agreed. This well, is an urgent issue, and... Stop being treated with that urgency. Yeah. Facts. Okay. <laughs> you guys are so great and incredible, Thank and you. the work you're doing Thank is you. so important. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. If you guys want to um, plug anything, like your own private Instagrams or your own personal Instagrams or Teen Sake Charge Instagram or yeah. so, the Medium thing. <laughs> or oh, yeah. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram at Teen Sake Charge, also Twitter. 
if you have Twitter. Um, check out our website because there's just a lot of information about everything we've done, a lot of photos taken by the amazing Dulce Marquez. Yeah. Statistics and our policy if you want to educate yourself more. And a um, join us tab if you wish to join us. Yes. Get involved. Please do. Um, and yeah, also we have some... We have a platform called Medium, and on that platform we share stories of students all around the city and their experiences in the education system. So if you want to hear more stories, you can check those out or the testimony section on our website. Join us, teensakecharge.com. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening on. Um, Be sure to follow us on all of our social media handles, which all of our social media handles, I'm pretty sure, are Teen Speak Up. Um, If not, we'll link everything down below. And be sure to follow Tiffany and Sophie and Teen Take Charge all on Instagram and whatever social media handles are also linked down below. Um, We love you guys so much, and we will talk to you soon. Bye!